morning. Good to see you all. Uh, if you're a guest here with us today, my name's Drew, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we'll be opening up the Gospel of Mark this morning, so you're all invited to join in opening the Gospel of Mark. If you do not have a Bible uh, with you, you can grab one under a seat nearby. And the Gospel of Mark is on page 836 in those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that one. We would love for you um, to have that. Well, we're continuing in our series through the Gospel of Mark, and we're a couple weeks in, and we'll continue to be in this in coming um, months. And the last two Sundays, we looked at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and we've seen that Jesus is anointed as the King, and He came to bring in the kingdom of God. And we see that the kingdom of God in the Gospel of Mark, and as Jesus proclaimed it, is actually... Uh, it's a framework for understanding what Jesus came to do. It's the framework for the ministry of Jesus. It's not that Jesus came with a little spiritual message that's relevant for Sunday mornings in some small corners of our lives, and then He coupled that little spiritual message with a few nice miracles to treat people well and show that He's a nice person. Instead, He came to unleash the power of the kingdom into the world, to establish His kingdom. When Jesus came, this was God beginning to make all things new and set all things right in the world. Jesus came to bring the solution to all of the problems of the world and of human history. And this is because the kingdom of God, as we've seen, is a central theme in the whole Bible. The theme starts at the beginning where God, as the great king, created the world, and He made the world as it was always meant to be. Uh, Adam and Eve, humanity, in harmony with one another, in harmony with creation, in harmony with God Himself. And every part of the world, however, now is a mess because of us. It's disjointed, it's out of order, it's broken in the Old Testament on page after page after page. Uh, rustles with the promise that the king will come. God himself will come, and a human king will come through David's line. And we see in Jesus that comes together as God in the flesh. And so Jesus came, and he came to bring comprehensive renewal and flourishing. And so he announced his ministry and mission with this statement that we saw last week. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And so last week we saw Jesus announce this good news of the kingdom. And now this morning we're going to see what the kingdom looks like as it breaks into our world. As it began to break through into this world in Jesus' ministry, it's still spreading today. And when Jesus returns and beyond, it will come in its fullness. So we'll see what it looks like in action. Why is the good news such good news to a world like ours? So here's what we'll see. Jesus came to bring comprehensive renewal into the world. It's far more multifaceted than we may tend to think. He meets all of our diverse needs. He's fixing all that's broken. He's healing all that's sick. And he's removing all that's evil. And so we'll read here in just a moment uh, this second half of Mark chapter 1. And we'll see that most of this takes place over a 24-hour period. 
and it's fast-paced. It's a packed day, and it shows us the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God in action. So let's read this together and then ask the Lord's help. So Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. And they, that is Jesus and these new disciples, went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon, that's Simon Peter, and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, proclaiming or preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word here, and we receive this as your very voice through the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would be the one to help us here. We can't even rightly understand your word without your help. We certainly cannot have our hearts transformed in ways that are fitting in light of this without you doing that transforming work. And so we pray that you would do what only you can do. Open our minds to understand your word. Open the ears of our hearts and the eyes of our hearts to hear and see, and we pray that you would transform us by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we see in this chapter is not just the gospel being announced anymore, but the gospel of the good news of God's kingdom breaking out into the world. And so in this fast-paced, 
uh, day and then a few days beyond, we see the good news of the kingdom in action. And we see four aspects of Jesus' comprehensive ministry in this text. He removes evil, he heals sickness, he announces good news, and he shows deep compassion. And so let's just walk through this text and we'll see all four of those aspects of the kingdom as it breaks out into the world through Jesus. So first, Jesus removes evil. So this story begins with Jesus and his disciples in Capernaum. This was a village on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And then they enter a synagogue on the Sabbath day, which would have been Saturday, and Jesus begins to teach. And then a dramatic event unfolds. Look with me at verse 23. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, that is a demon, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So Jesus wastes no time. Verse 25, the demon cries out and Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And then immediately this demon in this man cries out and came out of the man. Now notice here, no tricks, no incantations, no formula, just word. Because Jesus is the king and he has authority and his kingdom is breaking out into the world. And so last week, if you were here, we saw that Jesus, when he was anointed king at his baptism, immediately went into the wilderness to be confronted with and to confront Satan. And now we see him continuing to front, confront these forces of evil, and he confronts the demons here. And these people respond to the authority of Jesus with amazement. No wonder. And they, they note his authority. Now, this isn't just a one-off moment. We'll see this happen several times in the Gospel of Mark as we move through this book. But even in the rest of this chapter, Mark notes two more times that we read here that Jesus went around casting out demons. In other words, this is just a mark of his ministry. This is one of the things he regularly did. It's a large part of what it means for his kingdom to come. And this is because, as the Bible tells us, this is part of what's wrong with the world the influence of Satan and demons in this unseen world. This is part of what contributes to the brokenness of our world. The Bible teaches that there is a seen world and there is an unseen world. And in the unseen world, God has created angels, and some of those angels have rebelled against God, and we now refer to them as demons, and they resist God's rule, they resist His authority, and they're set against God's purposes and His people. They are against all that is good and true and beautiful. And so as God shows up in the person of Jesus to bring renewal to our world, to fix what's wrong with the world, he will deal with this. And this is why when Jesus shows up as king, one of the things he does is not just bring healing to the seen world, but deal with the problems in the unseen world that are influencing the seen world. Now, I know many people, of course, find this very hard to believe, but here are three things to consider. First, uh, if you believe in God, and most people even in the West still at least say they do, then you do believe in an unseen personal being. 
And so if you believe in God, then it's at least not irrational to believe that there are other personal spiritual beings in the world. So it's not irrational to believe in demons if you already believe in God. Second, most cultures throughout history and across the globe acknowledge the reality of the spiritual world and evil in the spiritual world. We're actually fairly unique uh, historically and globally, uh, all things considered, to so quickly dismiss the presence of some kind of evil influence in the world that we can't see. So we want to ask the question uh, with humility, are we maybe missing something today? Why is it that most human beings throughout history and across the globe have believed this and many claim to have actually experienced it personally? Third, look out at all the evil in the world. Pull up any news feed from any perspective. Is it hard after seeing how perverse the darkness is, how irrational it is, how unrelenting it is, is it hard to believe and unreasonably believe that maybe there's something else going on in the world than we can see? Maybe there is some demonic influence in the world. And when you look historically and see patterns of evil in nations and in groups, you just, it looks like there's a playbook in other words, it looks like there might be some kind of influence going on here that is, there's a continuity through history. Uh, so it sure doesn't seem unreasonable to think there may be something more going on than our eyes can see. And so this is part of why the good news is good news. Because Jesus came not just to solve the problems we all agree we have, he came to solve the problems we may not even know about or acknowledge at this point. And that's good news because God's kingdom isn't about making us feel good in life and answering all the problems we think we have. It's about actually solving the problems of this world and renewing creation. It's about fixing all that's broken in this world. So this leads us to avoid two extremes when we think about Jesus and demons. One extreme, we can make too much of demons, right? We can live in this um, fear, obsessive fear of them. We can think that that explains everything that's wrong in this world. On the other extreme, we can make too little of them and think they have no influence and, and have that not factor in at all to our explanation of what is wrong in this world. Try to explain everything in terms of psychology or brain chemistry. But Jesus shows us a different way here. He shows us that demons are real. They have real power and they really do mess up people's lives. But this also shows that Jesus is the king, and he has authority, and one of his missions is to cast out the demonic presence in this world. So what does that mean for us today? Well, you and I were sitting here in 2021, and we are in between the dawning of the kingdom with Jesus and the coming of the kingdom in its fullness after his return. And so we're living in an age of tension where the demonic influence is still here and yet Jesus' kingdom has dawned, its kingdom power is here, and we're waiting for this to be eradicated altogether. So his kingdom's here in part, but it's not fully here, which means that there will still be demonic influence in the world right now. We shouldn't be surprised, and yet they know their time is short. And so one of the best ways to 
resist the power and influence of the demonic world is to follow Jesus and enjoy following Jesus. Because the demons aren't here just to bother people and annoy people. They're resisting the rule of Jesus. And so as we bring every aspect and every corner of our lives under the grace and authority of Jesus, as we follow Jesus and learn from Him to become like Him, this is what discipleship is, that is thwarting the purposes of Satan and any demonic influence. This is part of what Paul means in the book of Ephesians when he says, put on the full armor of God. Part of what that means is to just live in light of the good news that has come. Live in light of uh, the gospel, the good news that we are counted righteous in Christ and we have his promises and we trust in him. So one of the best ways to fight is to enjoy following Jesus. So that's the first aspect of Jesus' kingdom we see here. He removes evil from the world. Second, Jesus heals sickness. The first scene was a demonstration of power in public in the synagogue, and then now the scene shifts to a home, Simon Peter's home, which archaeologists have shown is probably just a stone's throw away from the synagogue in this town. And so look at verse 29 with me. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law, this is Simon Peter, his mother-in-law, lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came... And he took her by the hand, and he lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. She was so immediately and completely healed that she is up and serving. And this is not just a one-off miracle. Like casting out demons, uh, Mark draws attention to the fact that this is the kind of thing Jesus did regularly. It's a significant part of his ministry. Look at verse 32. That evening at sundown, They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. So healing was a central part of his ministry. And so we want to ask the question, why? We can tend to think about Jesus' miracles as just things he did from time to time merely to show that he was powerful or that he could do miracles. But this is about something much bigger than just one-off actions of kindness. Mark is showing us, just like with the casting out of demons, that this is what it looks like when God's kingdom spreads in the world. This is what Jesus came to do as the king. He came to heal. And stepping back again, this is about God's plan to restore all that's broken in this world. Ever since sin entered the world, every part of life is affected by sin. Brain damage cancer, Alzheimer's, migraines, fevers, flu, COVID-19, and all its multiplying variants. All these things that have hit so close to home with you personally already taking the lives of people you love deeply, worry about these coming months and how it's affecting friends and family. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, God promises that in the new creation, this, the kingdom that's going to come and renew all things, part of what it's going to do is bring full healing and renewal. So listen to Isaiah 35, verse 5. It says this, once this comprehensive renewal dawns, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And so Jesus walks from village to village, 
showing that the time has come. The time has come for those who have never walked to leap up out of their chair. The time has come for the deaf to be able to hear. The time has come for healing. And so when Jesus heals people like this in his ministry, he's giving a foretaste of the, the comprehensive renewal to come in the new creation when he returns. He's giving a foretaste of that because that new creation, that kingdom is dawning in his ministry. He's bringing the renewal that the world needs. So what does this mean for us? Well, again, we need to avoid two extremes. On the one hand, we can think that because the kingdom has come, God will heal immediately as long as we have enough faith. But that ends up being manipulative. Who's really in charge? Is Jesus or are we in charge? On the other extreme, we can think that God doesn't really heal at all today. We can think it doesn't matter whether we ask him or not. But the truth lies between these two extremes. So here's what this story shows us of this healing of Peter's mother-in-law and these other healings. First, it shows us that full healing will come in the new creation. The good news of the kingdom includes healing. Jesus did not come just to have what we might think of as a spiritual ministry, but a physical ministry. God created your body in all of its strangeness, in all of its brokenness now because of the fall. He made it. It's His idea, and He's going to bring healing, full healing. That's what the resurrection of the body means, full, comprehensive, physical healing of the bodies that God made and declared were good. He will make very good again. And second, not only do we have the hope that full healing will come, God loves to heal even now. His kingdom is here, in part. It has dawned, and so He does heal, and He loves to heal. And when God does bring healing today, it is often a foretaste of the healing that's going to come in the full when we're raised from the dead to live forever in a new creation, on a new earth. So it is right and good to ask for healing, but we must trust Him for the timing. That's really what it is, isn't it? It's an issue of timing. If you are following Jesus, that means that when you ask for healing, the answer will never be no. You'll either get the answer of now or not yet. It may be not yet, and it may be even beyond death, but the resurrection's coming, and that will be the, the full answer to the prayer, full and final healing. The healing you long for, He will give you in the resurrection. And he may heal you now as a foretaste of that. But even then, our bodies will still power down and shut off and we'll be waiting for the full healing again. So for Christian, the, Christians, the question is not if God will heal, it's when. So Jesus removes evil, he heals sickness, and third, he preaches good news. Verse 35, here's what happens the next morning. So far, this has all been one full day. Now it's the next morning, verse 35, rising very, very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now pause here. So Jesus is launching his ministry. 
He has a lot to do, and yet he gets up early in the morning when it's still dark, and he gets alone to pray. He is dependent on his Father. His life is marked by prayer. We'll see this throughout the Gospel of Mark. If Jesus depended on his Father and the Spirit for his work, even when life is busy, especially when life is busy, how much more do we need this? And what happens next shows us another of Jesus' central priorities. His disciples are looking for him because everyone's looking for him. In other words, there's a lot to do. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing this. And he says in verse 38, let us go. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Notice the priority that Jesus gives to preaching. He has an incredible ministry in this town so far. People are getting healed. People are amazed at him. They want more of him. It looks like an incredibly successful ministry. And Jesus says, after a half a day's work, time to go. Why? He says, because I have to go to other places. This is why I came, to preach good news to other places as well. And we know what he was preaching, because we saw it last week in verses 14 and 15. He was preaching the good news that the kingdom of God had drawn near. The kingdom of God was at hand. And he was calling people to repent, to turn from their sins, and believe, to trust in him, and find a place in this kingdom by grace. So Jesus wasn't content for this message to stay in one place. He wanted every town to hear about this. He wanted this good news to spread everywhere because this world needs to hear this message of grace. This world needs to hear that God is not standing there waiting for us to get our act together and clean up our messes before he'll receive us. They need to hear the good news that God himself has taken the initiative to clean this world up because the only thing we do is make a mess unless we enter his kingdom and by the power of the Spirit are part of his renewing work. And so he receives us in by grace, and Jesus spreads this message. It's why he came. There's more people. And this is the same impulse that Jesus gave to his disciples. It's what's represented in what we refer to as the Great Commission, where Jesus sent his disciples into the world to go and make more disciples of every nation, every people group in the world, to keep going until the gospel is spread over our whole globe. And so this is why we have to have the same impulse today, because we can easily, I know I can feel this way, we can easily feel pretty content where we are and with the way things are going. And churches always have a tendency to move toward the direction of becoming ingrown and merely self-focused. But the heart of Jesus is to keep going and to keep spreading. And this is why we always want to raise up and send out and support and pray for mission partners. As long as there are places that have not heard the gospel and that do not have churches that can be a witness in those areas, there's more work to be done. And today there is more work to be done with thousands of people groups that still do not have access to the gospel and churches planted among them. And so this is why we as individuals and as a church want to be working together and partnering with others to reach the least reached places in the world. Because the good news of Jesus has to keep spreading. Last aspect of Jesus' ministry, 
Uh, not so much what he does, but how he does it. He shows deep compassion. This is what drives his ministry. What we're seeing is Jesus' heart in action in this last scene. So here's the situation, verse 40. A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So picture this scene. Here's this leper, and the word for leprosy can refer to what we would refer to as a number of various skin diseases. And here's this leper who comes to Jesus, kneeling down, imploring him. That man's situation would have been desperate in this time. Uh, leprosy, if you had that, you would have been cut off from the community. You lose your job, you're removed from your family, you're outside the city, you have to warn people not to get close to you. You actually had to look more haggardly than you were in order for people to look at you and just see the warning sign that I shouldn't come near this person because it's viewed as contagious and it shouldn't spread. This is why some rabbis would even refer to lepers as the living dead because it was a form of death. They looked like they were dying and they were cut off from community as though dead in many ways. And so this is actually shocking in itself that this leper would come up to Jesus and listen to what he says. If you will, you can make me clean. If you will, that's a desire word. So this man's not questioning Jesus's ability. He doesn't say, if you can, would you do it? His question is not about Jesus's ability, it's about Jesus' heart. It's about Jesus' desire. He's saying, Jesus, I know you can. So my question for you is, will you? Do you want to? So let's pause here. Mark said at this moment, Jesus has been going around to various towns in Galilee. And he's preaching the good news. He's casting out demons. He's healing. No doubt there are dozens of stories that Mark could have included from this little mission tour in that region, right? Uh, he only includes this one. Why? What is so significant about this particular moment of all the moments he could have shared from this tour of Galilee? Well, it's important because it shows us not just what Jesus came to do, but it shows us his heart. It answers the question, what does Jesus want to do? What is he like when he's up close and personal with another human being who has a need? So what do we see from Jesus? Well, notice three aspects of Jesus' heart here. We see his emotion and his touch and his words. Look at his emotion. Verse 41. Moved with pity. So Jesus is stirred deeply in this moment. Deep emotion. And it's not disdain. It's not annoyance as it would have been for many other people had this man walked up to them. It's pity. It's compassion. Now, actually, there's a question here about what the original Greek manuscript says. You may have a little footnote, and at the bottom it says, uh, filled with anger instead of moved with pity. Quite a difference, it seems, right? Um, sounds like a very different meaning. I've been puzzled by that for years because filled with anger at this moment seems so out of step with what's going on in the whole story. What would Jesus be angry about right here? 
But um, this past week, as I was thinking about it and getting some help from other resources, um, remember that there's a parallel to this moment in John chapter 11 when Jesus' friend Lazarus died. And Jesus stands at the tomb, and the best translations would say he was deeply moved and he snorted with anger. He was moved with anger. And the most likely uh, scenario there is that he's angered at death. He is angered at what has broken this world. He's angered at death that took his own friend. And there's also an example in the Old Testament in Judges 10:16. It says, "The Lord was indignant over the misery of Israel. He sees the misery of his people, and he's indignant over it. So here's the point. There are times when Jesus is angry, not in a sinful way, in a right way angry about what harms people. He's angry about the effects of the fall in the world. He's not just, he's not against this man. He is for this man and therefore against what is against this man, what ruined his life. In other words, whether this text actually reads filled with anger or moved with pity, the result's the same, right? Jesus is moved with emotion on behalf of this man. Uh, filled with pity for him and compassion. So do you feel a mix sometimes of anger and sorrow when something terrible happens to someone you love? Jesus is not standing aloof in those moments. He feels that way and without sin. He is against that which harms those he loves. So that's what his emotion shows and how it shows his heart. Notice how his touch shows his heart, too. Look at verse 41 again. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, that's amazing for a couple of reasons. First of all, this man's uncleanness would have contaminated anyone who touched him. It's what everyone would have thought at the time, so, which is why he had to be isolated and quarantined. But when Jesus touches him, this man doesn't make Jesus unclean. Jesus makes this man clean. It's Jesus' holiness which is contagious. And second, look at the touch of Jesus here as well. The man probably has not felt the human touch for who knows how many years, as long as he's had this. Jesus could have healed him with a word. We, we cast out demons with a word. But instead, rather than just speaking this healing, he reaches out his hand and touches him. Why? We see Jesus do this kind of thing all the time. The way in which he heals people or does his miracles caters to the needs of the people he's interacting with. And so he rebukes sharply a demon, right? Just says, shut up and get out of him. But with this man, he touches him. A gentle touch in a way that shows love. The third way this story shows Jesus' heart, listen to his words. Remember, this man didn't ask if Jesus could heal him. That wasn't in question, doesn't seem. He asked him if he wanted to. And what is Jesus' response in verse 41? I will be clean. In other words, yes, I do want to. I do want to heal you. And out of that compassion, he says this. This is Jesus' heart in action. And listen to what he tells the man to do. He says, show yourself to the priest and offer for yourself cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. So here's what's going on. 
this leper would have been isolated from community from this, because of this disease, and he had to go through an official process to get reintegrated back into society and accepted back into community. So Jesus is saying, don't go around this. Go through this process because I'm not just healing you personally. I'm healing you socially, right? Communally. That's what we're made for. Um, and he brings him back into community here. So this is his heart. Do you view Jesus this way? So here's what this whole section is showing us. The kingdom of God is the comprehensive solution to all of our needs. Jesus' ministry is comprehensive. It's multifaceted. It's holistic. He removes evil in the world. He heals diseases. He spreads good news. He shows his heart. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll see this climactic moment in this series of aspects of the breaking of, in of the kingdom into the world, and the climactic moment is when Jesus he, uh, not only heals someone but forgives them of their sins because he came to solve that deepest of human problems, alienation from God and real guilt, not just the feelings of guilt but real guilt before the one true God. And he came not just to get rid of demons and to heal us physically and to reintegrate us into the community but to restore us to God and forgive us of all of our sins. This is his ministry. So this series of stories shows us that God is about holistic, comprehensive restoration. Jesus came to restore everything that is broken in this world. We have comprehensive needs, and he brings the comprehensive cure. We have multifaceted problems, so we need a multifaceted solution. And so this chapter then blows up any reductionistic vision of Jesus we have, any reductionistic vision of the good news that we may have, because Jesus' vision is holistic and comprehensive. So as we wrap up uh, our time looking at this text, let's just stand back and notice a couple of the things that Jesus holds together in a both-and, uh, things that we usually separate and keep apart in kind of an either-or. So here's a few things Jesus holds together here that we can learn from be encouraged by because this is the true Jesus and then even seek to reflect in our own lives. First, he combines the physical and spiritual. His ministry combined both of these throughout. He didn't just bring a message about spiritual salvation. He also healed physical bodies. When the kingdom comes in the fullness, in its fullness in the end, this will look a lot like Jesus' ministry on the pages of Scripture we just read comprehensive, spiritual and physical. We will be forgiven and free from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin, and our bodies will be fully healed forever to walk around and look each other in the eye and laugh on a new earth with all of God's people and the Lord Jesus forever. So sometimes we can tend to focus on one or the other. And even in thinking about the needs the world has, focus on either the spiritual or the physical. But as John Piper put it once, we care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. So that's what we see here in Jesus. He cares about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. He came to bring full healing, especially eternal healing. So he combines physical and spiritual. Second, he also brings a both and with words and works. He doesn't just preach the message of the good news with his words. He also doesn't 
just do works. He does them both. So he preaches the good news, and then he casts out demons and heals. And throughout the Gospel of Mark, you'll see those are always tied together. He's preaching and casting out demons. He's preaching and he's healing. He's giving a message of love, and he's demonstrating love. They always went together. So if, as we think about the way we even tend to live now, if we only go around doing good to people, serving God well in our vocations, demonstrating love, but we never tell people the message of the kingdom, that by grace God will welcome you into his family and into his kingdom, repent and believe the good news. If we never share this message of grace, then people might get the impression from us that God accepts us because we become good. Look at Christians, they're good. It's all they know about it. Just, they're good. I guess I should become good too. On the other hand, if we only go around speaking about Jesus and the message of the gospel, but we are unloving and unkind and rude and overlook the needs people have, why would anyone want to listen to the message of Jesus? The way we live is totally out of sync with what we say then. And in fact, today, we just have a great opportunity to get a hearing, actually, because so many people are so confused about what Christians believe, and there's a tendency of just, I mean, there are plenty of terrible examples of people doing awful things in the name of Jesus, and having terrible attitudes in the name of Jesus, and then those are just magnified with social media and the news, right? So we have an op- opportunity then at a real one-on-one personal level and public level uh, to demonstrate civility, kindness, love, the fruit of the Spirit, Love, peace, patience, goodness, self-control. And that, that's attention-grabbing, right? Um, to, it gives credibility to our message. I was listening to one pastor recently who talked about really apologetics, getting a hearing for the gospel um, in our day. You know, it used to be maybe 10, 20 years ago, read, it, read a book about apologetics and philosophy and some of these things. And he says, the bar is so low right now. The bar right now is just, you know, don't be a jerk you know, be a nice person. And people are like, wow, there's something different about you, you know? Uh, But that is where we are. And what an opportunity then, because we can step into this by the power of the Spirit. And the way we treat people, the way we live, the way we live in our neighborhoods and at our vocations and in local government and in any sphere in which you serve, being truthful and being kind by the power of the Spirit and pairing that with the message of Jesus. That's the power of the kingdom. And then finally, notice Jesus combines gentleness and power. The people in this chapter were amazed at his authority. It's repeated several times. His authority as king to cast out demons with a word and to teach with authority. And yet this leper was also struck by his gentleness, right? And even the way he healed Simon's mother-in-law, just grabs her hand gently and she's raised. We don't usually see gentleness and power combined in our world. Authority and gentleness. I mean, what does it look like? Just think in history, think of examples today of people in power. What happens when people get authority and power very often? Not very nice, right? Obviously, there's extreme examples. Look at the rulers like Mao and Hitler and Stalin and government leaders across the world today. They have authority, and they are not using it for the good of others in gentleness and kindness like we see in Jesus. But when Jesus shows up, how does he use it? He uses it to bring healing. He reaches out with gentleness and compassion. So what an example. Both the Jesus we worship, this is who he is. Is not this the king you want? 
and as those who enter into his kingdom and get to know him and become like him. This is then what we can reflect in our spheres of influence, in whatever amount of authority, authority the Lord's given you, in your home, in your workplace, in any sphere, reflecting the values of the kingdom here, bringing together gentleness and compassion with power and authority. What a beautiful picture. And let's, let's affirm one another where we see this. Let's draw attention to where we see this in the media or in the news with different leaders. Uh, let's commend that. Let's commend it in people that we see in, in teachers or in your workplace or in your home or with your spouse. Commend one another when we see this brought together well. So this is who Jesus is. The kingdom has come. We wish it was here in its fullness, but it is on its way. And so this is the Jesus we worship, and so we together want to be a community that continues to repent and believe in this good news. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your great kindness to us in giving us your word here so we can have a clear picture of what your good rule in Christ looks like. Thank you that we can come under the rule and authority of Jesus without fear, but stepping in by grace, receiving a gentle welcome. And so we pray that you would cause us, as we considered earlier, to reflect your light in the world and have great joy in doing so. And we pray that as we do, your power to bring people to yourself through Jesus would be at work through us. We pray this in Jesus' name.